welcome to the Inspired Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Lauren Parrish. In this podcast, I want to share with you an interview I've done with Yinko Dietrichson. Since 2000, Yinko has presented clinics around the globe, including Zimbabwe, Malawi, the UK, France, Switzerland, and Canada. Yinko's unique combination of classical dressage, natural horsemanship, positive reinforcement, and the mentality that there must be a better way have led him to train with both amateur and top professional riders all around the world. He's a wealth of knowledge and completely generous with his time in this interview. I hope you enjoy it as much as I have. And here we go. Yinku, I know you've had a lot of experience in your life. Would you be willing to share with us a pivotal moment in your journey? Certainly. In 1998, I took some clients out on an outride um, in a pine forest. And we were galloping in a pine forest. And I was riding um, at, at the lead with my horse. And a reed buck, I don't know if you guys have reed buck, in, in, in America, but it jumped in front of me about five, five meters in front of me and my horse literally stopped dead. And instead of flying over the horse's head and falling off, I landed up, I'm sitting down very hard into the saddle and I fractured my lowest vertebra in two places. And the specialist said to me, I would never be able to ride again. And uh, if a horse as much as jerks me on a lead rope, I can be paralyzed from my pelvis down. And so, I said to them, but this, this is my life. This is what I do for a living. And they said, we suggest that you change your vocation. So that was quite a big shock to me. And so in 1999, Catherine, my wife and, and myself, bought this little Arab cult together. And uh, the day that he arrived, Catherine walked down to the paddock to go and feed him. And the next moment I saw her running back up to the house. And I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she said, Zamora tried to attack me. And I said, what did you do? And she, I say, she said, uh, I threw the bucket down and I just jumped out of the paddock. She said, you better go and sort it out. And I said, well, I know how to do this the tough way, but I want to try something. I would like to see, and I remember, I, I still had in the back of my mind, I cannot be jerked by a horse because I can be paralyzed from my pelvis down. So I landed up training Zamora with food to lower his head and walk backwards. And three weeks later, Catherine was able to go into the paddock with a bucket of food and he would approach her and lower his head and walk backwards. And, and we didn't know anything about clicker training or um, how to use secondary and primary enforcers. It was literally just saying every time he does a desired behavior, reward him. Every time he does an undesired behavior, just use a little bit of pressure. So it was very interesting to, to see um, how well this worked. And I said to her then already in 1999, we are onto something here. So I was very, very excited about that. And we landed up training him to do all sorts of amazing things. So Catherine trained him to lie down with no ropes, no hobbles, nothing. It's like this was trained literally just in, in increments to train him to lie down. So it was fascinating to see how relaxed he became. And then when I started studying it a little bit further, I discovered that there's something that's called the autonomic nervous system, which is something that Pavlov discovered in the right in the beginning of the 1900s. And the autonomic nervous system quite 
frankly, regulates all our subconscious bodily functions. So our heart rate, our liver, even our kidneys, and our breathing, if we don't think of it as regulated by the autonomic nervous system, and it's got two branches like a seesaw or a scale. So on the one side, we have fight or flight, the, the sympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system, and there's normally a stimulus in the environment that triggers one of the five senses, one or more of the five senses, and then there's a adrenaline and cortisol stress hormones are released in the horse's nervous system. All the blood goes to the muscles, the head comes up, and uh, the horse is now in flight mode. But the interesting thing is anything that you try and teach the horse, actually the brain is not wired to learn anything. And I'll explain that a little bit later on because the brain is, goes into energy saving mode because um, obviously learning and making new connections in the brain takes a lot of energy and it's quite a slow process. So it basically shuts down the learning side of the brain and then uh, it just is focused on survival. Whereas on the flip side of that, so this year you see the blood going out to the muscles, also head and neck comes up, pupils dilate, back muscles become contracted and there's no way that the hind legs will swing forward and underneath the horse. So on the flip side of that, in the parasympathetic state, when we give also something to eat, the mouth quite literally tells the brain, food is on its way, the brain then says to the body, but the blood cannot be in the, in the muscles for fight or flight and in the intestines for rest and digest at the same time. So it redirects the blood back to the intestines and ultimately when the blood goes to the intestines and the horses in the parasympathetic state, um, this is where learning takes place at the same time. So this is really important to understand and that's something uh, that I learned after the effect. So first I saw this amazing thing that I didn't know even why it worked. I just knew that it worked and then started discovering why it worked. So I was very I'm excited about the learning that took place. And then in 2004, I got asked by the South African Lipizzaners. It's the only uh, Lipizzaner center outside of Vienna that is recognized by the Spanish Riding School. I was asked to train two Lipizzaners to take Cinderella on stage. And we had more than a thousand people in the audience every night. And um, when we made a turn, we would literally make a U-turn and we were about two meters away from where the band was sitting. So you have to appreciate how much training I had to go in to get these horses used to this. And we landed up doing 80 performances in total over two months um, with these horses on stage. It was very, very nice. And it was such a nice experience. I learned so much. So this phase of my of, of, of my apprenticeship, if one could call it my second apprenticeship, was very much about learning to think outside the box. And so I did all sorts of crazy things and literally just experimented and had lots and lots of fun. In 2010, one journey ends and another uh, journey begins. So in 2010, my third apprenticeship started. I uh, It never rains in Johannesburg four days on end, but that week it was in january february 2010 it rained for four days on end and yeah people don't like training in the rain and there was an overseas instructor his name is morton thompson from denmark grand prix level rider uh, that came and did a clinic and so i landed up using the rain as excuse to cancel all my lessons and to go and attend morton's clinic and i asked him if it was okay with him if i walked up and down the arena 
the, on the long side because people were sitting under, I think it's called a gazebo where, where you guys are. The, 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 the spectators were sitting under a gazebo, but they were talking so much that I couldn't hear what he was saying. So I asked permission to go and walk up and down in the rain with him because he was very intense and he was like in a good way he was so passionate and he was explaining to the riders how they would be able to improve their game and how the um, certain movements how they could improve it so um, after three days Morton said to me listen I see that you are very passionate about this I want you to stay behind afterwards I really would like to talk to you and when I stayed behind I was actually thinking that I was in trouble that I did something wrong or I was a little bit in his face and he said to me Yenko what does the word dressage mean to you and I said well um, it is it's a discipline in my mind and he said no it's actually a beautiful French word for training and he said I want to encourage you to take the mental block that you have between natural horsemanship clicker training and dressage out because training is actually just training and you've been training these horses to do all these crazy things for the past 10 years. And I want you to step into this world of ours and bring what you understand about how horses mind works and bring what you understand about how horses learn and how horses learn optimally and bring it into the dressage world. So he basically gave me permission and helped me to overcome my self-limiting belief because I was in a place where I felt that I didn't understand. I was very interested in, in dressage. I read lots of books, watched lots of DVDs, but I just wasn't confident enough to give myself out as a dressage instructor. So because of Morton, he liberated me in a way, only to realize much later on that um, there's something that is called creative limitation. What he actually did is he invited me to get back into the box and to learn to create within the perimeters of this box. So it's literally about working inside, thinking inside the box, within the framework of dressage, trying to find solutions. And this is what I've been doing for the last 10 years. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so this is when you created the three agreements. Please explain that to us. And the three agreements is something that has really uh, helped to, to make things a lot clearer for people. So the three agreements, if you look at the green smiley face, the first agreement is a clear way of communicating, yes, non-verbally, this is what I want, a desired behavior. And normally for a desired behavior, we go, we click and reward as feedback. And then the yellow smiley face is, if in doubt, Go to neutral. So if the horse and or the rider gets nervous, you now have permission to go back to neutral, stand still. We call that neutral feet. And when they put their head down, neutral mind, reset, and then we can try again. Because sometimes all that happens is we just escalate the stress hormones, like I explained earlier on, and then ultimately there's no learning that takes place. So once you understand how the autonomic nervous system actually can inhibit learning, um, it's really interesting to see that it's very important that we stay calm and relaxed and then I actually call it the second agreement the red smiley face is a clear way of communicating no this is not what I want and um, how we use that is we use pressure as feedback to communicate no this is not what I want to communicate uh, to the horse um, this is not what I want for undesired behavior. So I think that's really important. So we have the green smiley face. Yes, this is what I want. Second agreement. No, this is not what I want. And then the third agreement, if in doubt, go to neutral. 
And then you'll also see here um, in the background, we've got uh, autonomic nervous system pretty much is in the green zone. And then the limbic system is in the yellow zone. This is where our emotions and our learning takes place and where we make our decisions. And pretty much for horses, they have the green zone and the yellow zone, but they don't have the pink zone. So the pink zone is the human brain. And the human brain gives us the ability to problem solve. It gives us the ability to use language. And it also gives us the ability to use our imagination. So we can think in the future and we can think in the past. And so there's something that we call mind wandering. And when we mind wander, it's similar to having up to 150 browsers open on your computer. And we're constantly hopping from one to the next, to the next, to the next. So we hardly ever present. The, the stats say, um, show that we are about 50 to 80% of the time while we awake, we are mind wandering. So we are hardly ever present. And so the beautiful thing for me when we train horses is that horses help us to become present. So we have to come into the yellow zone where optimum learning takes place. And then ultimately when we spend time with the horses, we try and bring them up out of their autonomic fight or flight state of mind. And we bring, and we start developing connections between their feeling brain which is the green and the and the and the yellow zone, and um, to encourage them to start developing connections with the thinking part, because they also have a very small neocortex, this pink part. They have a small part, but they basically, if they don't get stimulated to learn, they don't. There's no need to learn if all your needs are met. So, um, it's basically bringing together the best of both worlds when you bring a human brain and a horse's brain together, and we can together build this. Uh, yellow band this is where flow state happens so um, that is my three um, journeys and so the first lesson that I've learned was the invisible box and ultimately I find it quite ironic that we train animals that go into pressure with pressure and and yet it, it's the tool that we currently use because we just don't know any better so at the time I didn't know any better and then my second apprenticeship when we were training, when I was uh, training from the inside out, when I discovered that the horse has actually got a brain. And then after more research, I discovered that you can train that brain. So that was fascinating. And then my third apprenticeship, the lesson that I learned is how do we use the invisible box and uh, the three agreements, the way that the horse's nervous system is hardwired and how do, how do we use this with more refined skills because ultimately we're not just going to go and throw our our saddles and bridles away and start riding bareback and bridleless we're just not there yet so there's a, a a little bit of evolution that still has to take place and i honestly believe that we can close this gap one has to have deep understanding and you have to be uh, you have to understand how to use both those tools in order to build this this connection here in the yellow so thank you so much. Such a privilege to be here this afternoon. Beautiful. Thank you for that. What do you do when a horse offers unwanted behavior, such as pawing when they're trying to pick up the feet or nipping at you or just getting pushy? Okay. Good quality questions. Get good quality answers. So normally we start over the stable door. There's actually a chain across this door, but it's better to start over the stable door. And we set up the three agreements with a cone. So what I would suggest you do is if you put a doormat about a meter and a half away from 
from your stable dorsa, your horse cannot physically reach your body. And then you put your reward bag, you can strip, uh, we put our rewards, we strap this around our waist and I put it behind my back so it's there where the horse can't reach it. And then I hold my cone out towards the horse. Now, the idea is to train the horse to touch the cone and only if it touches the cone do we make this noise. And the noise quite literally means Yes, this is what I want. So it's unemotional, it's audible over distance, it's very precise. And what happens is the horse goes through this process of elimination where they fundamentally give you five answers. So let's say it's a multiple choice question. So there's five potential answers. So it's asking, can I pour the ground? So uh, first answer, can I pour the ground? And we let this stand and we do nothing. Then can I look over to this, to the right? No answer. Can I fiddle with, with the latch on the door? No answer. Can I try and stretch towards you and pull my ears back? No answer. Can I touch the cone in your hand? Yes, have a reward. Now, ultimately, remember I said we go try, fail, learn, repeat. Try, fail, learn, improve, repeat. And we run the cycle over and over again. As you do it again and again, instead of yours offering you five different answers, they land up in time through this process of elimination going down to four potentials eventually three two eventually they don't do anything else they just touch this cone in your hand and so we we can use just the first agreement to try and know what it is that we want or if you want to use the second agreement in time what you can do is you can take a dressage whip and literally just step towards the door and just tap on the door. So if, let's say your horse starts banging on the stable doors. If you just step towards your horse, your horse can obviously see that you're coming towards them and you have a whip in your hand. So we use pressure feedback. So we don't punish. We just use pressure feedback to say to the horse or to communicate, no, I don't want you to bang the stable door. And then you hold the cone out. Yes, I do want you to touch the cone. No, I don't want you to bang the door. Yes, I want you to touch the cone. Eventually the horse says, if I'm not getting rewarded, so there's this process of elimination, but eventually if you only reward the desired behavior, a very interesting thing happens is that the undesired behavior goes into what we call extinction burst. So it gets a little bit worse before it gets better. But if you can stay focused on the behavior that you want, eventually, because of this process of elimination, eventually or stops doing the undesired behavior and they only do the desired behavior. So it's definitely possible to use reward is feedback to untrain undesired behavior and that's why i say focus on the one or the 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 20 that you want rather than focusing on the 80 percent that you don't want wonderful thank you for that so because you mentioned the click sound so i'm going to ask how important is it to use a click sound together with the reward of treats and what happens if you don't use that sound Oh, I love that question. Thank you. That's a very, very relevant question. So fundamentally, I have to appreciate that food is a very strong motivator. So uh, if you just bring food into the equation, you are literally getting yours all excited. So imagine I walk up to you in the street and I give you a hundred dollar note in your hand and you go, what's it for? And I go, have another one. You go, what's it for? You go, have another one. So initially you might be a little bit suspicious, but eventually you're going to learn to expect it. And so it gets to a point where the money runs out and you start saying, hey, give me more. And I go, I, I'm all out of money. You go And you say, I demand, I insist, I want. And I go, I don't have any more. 
if we just use food without a way to let us know which one of those five behaviors is the desired one and, and which ones are undesired ones, we're actually getting the horse all high in terms of their drive. Ultimately, we bring them out of their rest and digest state. Now they're getting excited. And, and, and then we have a problem with them being motivated, but they don't know what to do with this motivation. And then they tend to overwhelm the human beings. So uh, what is very important, and that's where it's important to be able to give direct and accurate feedback. So the sound that we use is unemotional. So that's why I don't go, good boy. So if I say the word when I'm in a good mood, I go, good boy. When I'm in a bad mood, I go, good boy. So the tone of voice already is different. Then in terms of precision, if we're training hock flexions or Spanish walk, it's very, very important because you'll see when you train it, the horse's leg comes up and out, but within, on the way up, you're saying good, but by the time the horse's leg's going down, already you're saying the boy part, so now it's not clear to yours. Is it the up or the down part that you're actually getting the reward for? So it's really important to be very accurate. And then the other nice thing is that it's audible over distance, so you'll see that we are able to train horses to to once they can touch the cone close to us, we actually send them away from us and we're still able to mark over distance the exact moment that that horse goes to the cone. Even though you cannot give the reward exactly at the same time, you can at least mark the desired behavior at the correct moment. And then let's say it takes your horse between three and five seconds to come back to you in the middle in order for you to give it a reward. You now have that ability. So the, the two things are basically inseparable of one another i would never use just food on its own because it lacks uh, direct and accurate feedback and if i just use direct and accurate feedback i lack the motivation so it's um, really important to maintain them uh, together so never to split the two i love that thank you so much it's my absolute pleasure like, this is fun i'm enjoying your questions my friend kit asked how do you prevent them begging for treats? Like, how do you prevent them from becoming like a crazy cookie monster kind of feeling? What I really like is, is the, that it's quite realistic. Eh? So it's so nice that you guys are asking um, the things that, that ultimately in the beginning, it's almost like saying, listen, you're going to be able to walk on water. You go, but everything in my brain says like it doesn't work like that and I'm going I promise you it's going to be fine just step out of the boat and just stand on the water it's going to work and you go like no it's not so so what is very interesting uh with regards to and Zamora that little Arab so I'm not going to scroll back up um but like he was very nippy and we didn't have a stable he was living out so training him to lower his head and walk backwards with two of the control behaviors. So my thinking was just that if, if I didn't want the horse to invade my space, I needed to get him to do the opposite of invading my space and I rewarded. So it was very primitive thinking in those days. It was just, I'm gonna reward him for going away from me. Anything away from me is good, anything towards me is bad. And so um, he realized, cause I was using, if he came towards me, I either shook the lead at him to go, no, this is not what I want. But the moment he stepped away, I would reward him. So I normally don't like shaking the lead. Not anymore. I used to. I don't like shaking the lead because the horses are, it's, it's not very accurate. So something that you can do is to put a halter and lead rope on. And I work with an in-hand whip. 
So I'm going to explain two different ways of, of, of helping your horse. One is ultimately over the stable door, like I explained earlier on when we train the horse to target on the cone. So that definitely focuses you and yours on what it is that you want rather than focusing on what you don't want. And the reason why I use a cone and not my fist, for instance, is I don't want the horse to eat my fist. So horses that are nippy, I can train and touch this. And then the nice thing is I can also put this down. So um, one of these, so, so doing this over the stable doors, basically you disassociate yourself from the food. So by putting the cone down on the ground, we can say to the horse, if you touch the cone away from me on the ground, I will still give you your money. So the horse in a way is not associating the food with you then, the, the food is associated with the cone, even though you are giving the horse the food, the horse first has to go to the cone in order to get the reward. So imagine you go to a vending machine and the vending machine is not working and you go to someone and this happens to me at Heathrow Airport quite a lot. The vending machines, I think, are rigged. So you put your two pounds in to buy a cool drink and then, or three pounds and then the, it doesn't give you a cool drink. So now you have to go and find someone and say to them, the machine swallowed my money and it didn't give me my Coke. So, um, so you land up going somewhere else, giving them the money, and then they come and they open the machine for you. So instead of kicking the machine, if that makes sense. So what we want to do is, and this is something that I think when you, when you hand rear calves is where, where the idea came from. Ultimately, if you have a bottle in your hand, and, and you can't separate the bottle from yourself. It's like the, the, the calf thinks that the, the food is associated with you. But then one day I saw a farmer that took a bucket and then put the teeth out on the side and then put the bucket down and then um, let the calf go and drink from the bucket. And then it struck me. It's like that's exactly what we're doing when we put the cone down. We're training the horses, go somewhere else for the reward. So what it does as well, it ultimately puts the horse um, head down into a rest and digest physical shape so that in itself also helps the horse to go more get the dopamine going when the head and neck is up and the horse is aggressive towards you that's more fight or flight state so it's interesting just getting the horse to put their head down and target on a cone on the ground helps them to calm down and they only get rewarded for touching the cone and i would initially do it over the stable door so or over the chain obviously with the door your doors the, the the door will block door so that is literally just fo focusing on what it is that you want so that's working um, predominantly with the first agreement but if you want to do a hybrid where you want to work once you've trained this over the stable door and you want to now go and test it in the arena what i would suggest is you put a halt and a lead rope on and then I'm going to just go to this picture. Then uh, you'll see that she's actually got a whip in her hand. So what happens is this horse's name is Coldplay. When Coldplay didn't touch the cone and he started stepping towards and he was a little bit in her face, she would use her in-hand whip and tap him literally just on the coronary band. So whichever foot he stepped towards, as she, let's say it's the right front, she just tap him on the right front. So literally... Pressure as feedback for the foot that made the mistake, like don't step with that foot towards me. And then the horse would step back and then we would click and reward for stepping back. So very soon the horse learned to stay out of her space and to go to the cone. So we've effectively trained the answer first over the stable door before we went out into the, into the arena to go and test it. And if it keeps going wrong, 
So I wouldn't just do it once over the stable door. I would do it for at least three to five days over the stable door before I go and test it. And let's say on day five, you go and test it and you go, mm, still not quite how I would like it. Go back to the stable for another two or three days and really train your horse to answer before you're setting them up in a place where potentially they can fail and then we land up having to use the stick or shake the lead like this. I don't like doing this. I think it's really important for the horse just to learn what is the appropriate response when we have food on us? So I love it when they're super motivated, but they can actually stand still on the mat. And I will give them lots of rewards when they're standing still on the mat or when they're standing touching the cone. And they can touch this cone anything between 5 and 12 times per minute, which means that every 5 to 12 seconds, you're going, yeah, you're doing well, here's some money. Yeah, you're doing well, here's some money. Yeah, you're doing well, here's some money. So the horse is, of course, not going to want to push you around if it, if it gets a tap with the whip if it starts pushing around, pushing on you, but it gets awarded if it goes to the cone. So definitely it's just helping your horse to, there's effectively two filing cabinets, one for desired behavior and one for undesired behavior. And what you want to do is you just want to help your horse to uh, learn the difference between a desired behavior, because ultimately for a desired behavior, we're going to click an award and Ultimately, for undesired behavior, we're going to use pressure as feedback to let them know this is undesired behavior. And as you run the, the pattern over and over again, horses are pattern recognizers of note. You're going to find your horses starting to learn how to file the correct behaviors into the correct filing ca cabinet. And that's how we train um, horses all the way up to Grand Prix. Beautiful. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. So Kit, thank you for that explanation. She really liked it. Now she's following up. Explain how you would begin building a longer behavior or maintaining a behavior for longer periods of time. Let's maybe talk in terms of time. So initially, what we do is we reward the horses as they, so I'm going to start with something simple like this. As they touch the cone, we go click feed. So we call one for one. Ultimately, we need to hook the horse into the belief system. So the horse doesn't know what is the desired behavior, undesired behavior. So initially, it's just a process of elimination going, is it A, is it B, is it C, is it D, or is it E? Once they start going, ah, it is definitely E. Every time I touch this, I get a reward. Then they no longer offer you A, B, C, D. That goes away by itself. And they just go A, 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 A. So when they start doing this, where they go A, 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 so they go, they touch, they get a click, they get a reward, they come back straight away and say, hey, Let's do this thing again and again and again. What happens then is you then know that you can go and you can up your criteria. In other words, you're not going to click the first time your horse touch, touches the cone. So we're now in phase two of the learning process. So they've finished the process of elimination. They're now 100% clear in their mind. They have to push this button to get it to make a sound to get a reward. And so they start doing it a lot. So now we go touch it once, no click. Touch the second time, click feed. So we call it two for one. Once they're doing that consistently, we go to what we call three for one. So they're going to touch the first time. Then they look at you. They, why is this thing like broken? This vending machine, there's something wrong with it. So they come up and they look at you and then they go back down the second time. Still no click. Go back down the third time. Click on the third one. And then after that, we go in phase, uh, phase four, we go on to what we call variable reinforcement. So sometimes I'm in a reward after 
seven repetitions. Sometimes I'm going to reward after two, sometimes after 11, sometimes after five. So the one thing that your horse now knows is that it will get rewarded, but it doesn't know when. And so variable reinforcement is a form of helping the horse to escalate the, the dopamine levels. So ultimately, if we're giving pressure as feedback for, any, for below average performance, anything between a one and a four, we give releases feedback between a five and a seven, and we only click and reward between an eight and a 10, ultimately you're gonna land up only rewarding the best of the best behavior. So that is a form of variable reinforcement. And ultimately, if your horse starts recognizing that they have to push a little bit to get to an eight, this is how we drive performance. Initially, I reward the smallest tie. So all they have to do is tie and they get the money. So their performance is somewhere here, just like at a five initially. And I'm going, good, well done, click feed. But as they get more and more consistent, I no longer click for a five. I now expect a six or a seven. And in time, I go, if it's not good enough, I'm going to literally just give them a break. So you'll see in, in Jack's films that when when he's done well, I don't always click him. Sometimes I just come to a standstill and then I just release the rein and he stretches all the way down like we did with Pepper the other day. Just stretch, just stand there, take a little break, take a deep breath, then I pick him up again. I shorten the reins, I lift a bit up in the mouth and then I ask him again. And, and the, normally by the third time, if you ask them to do it again and you haven't clicked and rewarded, they start going, hey, I really want the money. So they put a little bit of extra effort in, and then we click and then we give them a reward, and that's how we drive performance. Oh, that's beautiful. I love it. And it just really starts to connect all the dots. Thank you for all of this. I, I, I think I want to finish up with one more question from what we came up with yesterday, my husband and I. And Charlie, he's so clever. He said, let's ask Yinku, is there a question you wish someone would ask you? Wow. I've never thought of that. Now, that... That is a good quality question. Oh, wow. Okay, so this is really taking it to the next level. Okay, I would like for people to ask me what does dressage and horse training look like in 2150? That's a beautiful question. What would it look like for you? If... So, so you have to appreciate that what I honestly believe that, that at many thousands of years ago that we had a, a very real connection, a very visible connection with animals. And the Bushmen actually, they could um, there was an animal in the bush. And um, they still have that sense. But um, I think they, they've also become domesticated, which is, is quite sad. So in, in my lifetime, there were Bushmen living in, in Namibia uh, and uh, that lived literally like they, they've never seen Westerners. They've never seen people with clothes on. It was quite amazing. It's like, so um, to think that that, that was a, a not even 35 years ago. And so um, what has happened is as we become more and more evolved, it's like we are more and more moving away from our connection with the environment. And I see our connection with horses is something that's very special because we get to practice on a daily basis the connection between the, the thinking brain of a human and the feeling brain of a horse. And like I said earlier on, 
even with our own feelings. So it's not just as if we are disconnecting from the animals. In a way, we are disconnecting from our own feeling brain. And so what's really nice is to get the biofeedback from a horse because um, the horse is helping us to become present and to heal ourselves as much as we are bringing them into a place where we're encouraging them to develop their thinking brain more. So it's a beautiful symbiotic relationship. And I think that the language that, that I have developed with the three agreements is still very much in its primitive stages, pretty much like English is built up out of Latin and we, no one speaks Latin anymore. We have evolved so much that no one is using it and yet it's the base of the language. So the three agreements is effectively like Latin. It's the, the foundation of the, the language. But as I listen to the questions, I'm hearing people that are saying, hey, we're already using the language and what else is possible and how can you use it to, to, to make more complex senses and build more complex paragraphs. And eventually, I believe that people will be able entire chapters and entire books. So how I see this art for the 21st century is that we, we will be able to take um, the bit and the spurs and everything away and we will literally be able to write where it's flying changes with nothing on. Um, that's, that's what the future looks like for me. I love that. That's an awesome vision. That would be so fun. Yeah, definitely. It's like, and I, and like, so we've play, we're playing with it. There's some of my clients that are quite radical and uh, we are experimenting with it to, to see if it's possible. It's like, so I believe that it is possible. It's like, and I believe uh, fundamentally if we, all we have to do is we first of all have to uh, uh, build up the autonomic nervous system. We have to get that into a calm, relaxed state where it's no longer feeling threatened and then we can go into the middle brain and we can build that up. And then if we fix the foundation, we fix the walls, then we start working on, on the roof. But we tend to fiddle the roof the whole time, forget that we need to get the foundation and the walls there before we can put the roof on. So yeah, I'm very excited. Thank you so much, Beth. I really enjoyed your questions. And if I can invite you, if you have any other questions, please feel free to send me a message on uh, Adventures with Yenku. We've got a beautiful page. Go and check us out and um, post me some uh, a question. If you have a short little video that you want to submit just to, to show me, it's always easier to look at something and go, oh, if you click a little bit sooner or if you change your, your body posture a little bit this way or that way or energy up or more energy down, then that should resolve the problem. So I'm very happy to just give you a little bit of feedback on where you are already. So anyone that would like to make use of that, you're welcome to send me a short little video clip on, on my page and I will give you a, a audio feedback on, on uh, your questions. So thank you for, for this lovely privilege. It's been lovely to, to be able to just talk and answer some lovely questions. Well, we appreciate you so much and I'm so grateful that you could do this. And you guys, he is the most generous human I've met as far as knowledge goes. So feel free to reach out, ask him more questions. I'm also um, cleverly thinking of getting him into my remote group sometime next month where he can talk to us in real time on a video chat. So if you guys are not in my remote group and have interest in that, you know, these are the things we're starting to do. We're expanding our knowledge in any way possible. It's not just about me telling you what to do. It's about trusting your intuition, listening to your horse, 
and slowing down enough to take in all this beautiful knowledge and meet all these amazing humans out here that want to help the horses and the humans. So um, thank you so much. And I know you say we can fist bump together we can, right? <laughs> together we can improve the future for horse and human. Exactly. Well, thank you again, Yinko. And I will close out, as I always say, may the horse be with you, always. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you would like to learn more information about Yinku, you can check the comments in this podcast. It's Adventures with Yinku, spelled J-E-N-K-U dot com. And if you'd like to find out more information about my group where I did this Zoom interview, you can go to Facebook and look up Inspired Riders, a group for supportive horse people. Yes. So thanks again for listening. Remember to lead with kindness. Thank you.